This week on I Know You Hear Me with Flynn Hendricks. One time I came to a director on, um, I don't know, I don't remember the show, uh, but I was playing somebody like Old Joe. It was a mechanic. Mm-hmm. And um, no, no, it was Breaking Bad. Okay. It was, yeah. It was Breaking Bad, and I it was where I was keeping the cop out of the Winnebago. Yeah, yeah, you were keeping... Uh, Brian and uh, and Aaron were Yeah, and there. Dean Norris was in that scene with you, I believe. Uh, yeah, he was the cop. Yeah, right? yes, sir, yep. Yeah, so, so um, my whole aim was... Uh, now, I had done something in the morning. Right. With, uh, with, with Brian. Mm-hmm. I shot in the morning where... He get, he was selling me the Winnebago to destroy. Yes, it was just one little scene where it was inside the Winnebago, and I I come in, and I say blah blah blah, I'll give you this much money, and I was dissing him. Yeah, because in in my character's mind, he was obviously somebody who was dishonest because he wanted it to destroy. I was just right. making sense out of what he was saying, and I said, okay, this this guy is a. He, I don't have to take any crap from this guy because he's obviously illegal. And right. I can turn him in in a second. So I was just big, looking down on him, kind of. Yeah. And and Brian and the director liked that attitude that I I brought. I love it. So I, I was in their good graces. I was doing a, a good job. Okay. So I do that little scene. I say blah blah blah, and I leave. Okay. So I, all right, great. I'm gonna, and I'm ready to go home. And they say no, wait. We're going to use you this afternoon in another scene that I had no idea. I, I was just in there for for that scene. With right. Brian. So I said, so just have lunch and we'll set it up. I want to take a minute and thank our newest sponsor and partner, Dubby Energy. And while I'm doing that, I want to ask you a question. Are you like me and trying to find that pick-me-up throughout the day or just trying to find a way to get yourself going when you wake up in the morning? Well, then look no further because I'm about to give you my exclusive code to Dubby Energy. And if you don't know what Dubby Energy is, let me fill you in a little bit. It's a natural energy drink that doesn't have the crash, doesn't have the jitters. It's keto-friendly, and it has all the good ingredients that your body needs to help on focus, getting energy, and keeping going throughout the day. And you don't have to worry about the crashes or the jitters at the end of it. I've started using it, and God almighty, do I notice a big difference. My focus is where it needs to be. My concentration is on point, and I am absolutely crushing it in my workouts. And it's helping me on those long road trips to wrestling shows, too. Because, you know, as a traveling world television champion, I'm all over the place. I've got husband responsibilities. I've got dad responsibilities. I've got everything going on, and this stuff helps me get through it all. So if you want to try it for yourself, use my exclusive code, Glenn Hendricks, all one word, and use the link in my show notes below to go check out W Energy and get some for yourself and feel as amazing as I'm feeling right now. And you won't be disappointed. And I know you hear me. Hello, my name's Wilford Brimley. And when I'm not suffering from type 2 diabetes, I'm listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast with Flynn Hendricks. All right, everybody, we are back for another week here on the I Know You Hear Me podcast, and this is Flynn Hendricks flying solo in the studio again, but you better believe that even though I'm flying solo, I'm bringing you a quality guest today, and I'll go ahead and drop a little bit of a spoiler. As we're recording this, it's a little bit after the series finale of Better Call Saul and the finale of the Breaking Bad universe as we know it, or so we're told, so today's guest is very fitting, and I'm going to go ahead right now and give a shout out to Steve Joyner for making this interview happen because that man has sent me some amazing people to interview on this show, and now I'm lucky enough to call them friends. And I'm also lucky enough to call you guys that tune in friends as well, even though I may not have met some of you yet. But we'll get to how we can change that momentarily. So first off, I've got to say I hope this podcast finds you in a great place, and I hope you're doing well today. And if you're not, I hope this is the pick-me-up that you need. And on top of that, too, guys, if you haven't already, if this is your first time listening or you're a long-time listener and just hasn't hit that subscribe button yet, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and hit it right now so that you don't miss any of the quality content that I'm going to continue to bring you each week. And on top of that, too, while you're there, go ahead and hit that review button. Leave a five-star and a written review if you can, if the platform will allow you to do so, because you know we're on a lot of different platforms like Apple, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google. You name it, we're there. Subscribe. 
review it, and share it with your family, share it with your friends, just share it with the world, and then go get connected on social media. And on top of this too, man, let's go ahead and talk about the merch and how you can continue to support this show. A lot of people have already been picking up shirts. We can ship them to you directly, or if you catch me at one of my con appearances or a wrestling show, you can get them there. I can even ship to you directly from my wife's Etsy shop because I know you heard that advertisement at the start of the show. Decals by Ken's on Etsy. You can buy a shirt from there and use the promo code Flynn for 10% off. And on top of that, too, if you need some awesome decals or vinyls or you need a logo that you need printed out, she's the one to take care of you. And that discount code Flynn will get you 10% off there as well. So do me a favor and go check her out because you know I use her stuff. I've said it here on this show, and I want to make sure that if you're needing some vinyl, some monograms, some decals, whatever it may be done, we get you to the right place. But guys, if you want to support the show, by all means, get the shirts. Get a picture. Get an animated 8x10 drawn by former guest of this show, Katrina Piscina. I'll sign it. Jeff will sign it if it's the animated one of me telling him to get out of the studio, which right now he hadn't come back, but we'll, we'll deal with that later. But if you get that, or if you want a voicemail done for you in one of my character voices, if you want me to cut a wrestling promo on you, whatever you want to do, or if we meet at a con and we take a picture together, once you get this merch, or once we take that picture, tag us on social media. We'll shout you out on there. We'll shout you out on the podcast. And a portion of every sale that we make is going to go to the Nashville Humane Society. So that is a win all the way around. And on top of that, too, guys, another win. As this audience is growing worldwide, if you have events, products, services, anything you want to get out to that growing audience, check out my information in the show notes Get in my email, use the subject line advertising, and I will get your word out there. I will get you prices and information on the different packages I offer and how I can help promote. And on top of that, too, if you're somebody that's been listening to this podcast and wants to know, hey, how do I uh, get started as a professional wrestler? How do I start a podcast? How do I get into acting? Check my show notes again because I've got all the information you're going to need. Use the subject line coaching, email me at theflynnhendricks at gmail.com, and I will get you on the right path and get you with the right people, and you'll have a network in your corner to help you succeed. But all right, guys, I've babbled enough. I've sped read through everything, and now we are getting into the interview. All right, everybody, I want to take a quick pause here just to fill you in on a little bit of new information and happenings with the I Know You Hear Me podcast. Not only did we bring Dubby Energy on as our partner, but... We also joined the Rum Runners Podcast Network. And if you like this show, let me go ahead and tell you you're going to like all the other shows in the family of Rum Runners. They've got something for everybody, almost like this podcast. They've got comedy podcasts, paranormal and true crime podcasts, pop culture, lifestyle, health and fitness. You want it, they got it, just like this show, and we are happy to be a part of the Rum Runners family. So go check out the show notes, click on the links down there, and go check out these other shows and support them just like you support us. And then go over to the W Energy link and use code Flynn Hendricks for 10% off and get yourself some jitterless pre-workout with all natural ingredients. And I know you hear me. All right, everybody, we are back. And before we get going, I'm going to get a little swig of liquid death here so I can say I'm hydrated because, you know, voice actors, water, got to make it happen. But now, I've got to be hydrated to make sure I give this guy the introduction that he deserves because we're going to run down his resume. And if I, if I ran down everything, that would probably be the entirety of the episode. But I'm just going to name some of my personal favorites that this guy has appeared on. So you may have seen him in Married with Children. You may have seen him on Step by Step. You may have seen him in Billy Madison. You may have seen him in Star Trek Voyager, Friends, Home Improvement. Most recently, as I mentioned at the start of the show, as we're recording, the Breaking Bad universe kind of got tied up, or so we're told. Um, you may have seen him in not only Breaking Bad, but in El Camino as Old Joe. And now, as we were talking before the microphone started rolling, he's also working on an audiobook. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to have on the show today, Larry Hankin. Larry, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Of course. Glad of course. to be anywhere, man. Absolutely. In this house. We're, we're still here. We're kicking <laughs> well, it and we're party. making it happen. <laughs> Thank you. Man, so like I said, there's a, and I, there's a lot that you've done. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have the time to give your resume and your successes the credit that they're due. I don't have due. the time either, frankly. <laughs> Un yeah, like I said. <laughs> but I mean, like, there, there's a lot. And it's it, it took me a minute because it's like, I. I forgot how much stuff you were actually in that I either 
have like listed off as one of my favorites, like Married with Children or Home Improvement, like the stuff that still is like prevalent in my life today. But wow. you've you've worked with heroes of mine in the acting world that made me want to get into that as well. So like your story is just one that absolutely fascinates me. So I want to know where this love of acting and performing and just creativity in general all began for you. Well, I gotta I gotta straighten out one of your 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 facts. I have an addendum. Okay. One of your Uh-oh. facts. Um, I never wanted to be, nor do I want to be now or ever an actor ah. it never appeared in my sphere of influence or in my brain okay uh, i just fell into it and i was able to do it uh well enough to get jobs absolutely to, you know past the auditions uh no i wanted to be if anything i i never even knew about show business i i, I it was the furthest thing from my mind, it never entered my mind to be in show business. I, I, I was going to be an industrial designer. I was going to be a painter. Though those are yeah. my paintings there. Oh, well, this is just a, this is audio, right? Yes, no, sir. No video. Yep. Okay, so they can't see what I'm pointing at. These amazing paintings that I'm. I can see at, them though, and they are see. fantastic. Uh, and uh, so they're on my website, the real Larry Hankin. Okay. And this we'll have that in the show notes. TheRealLarryHankin.com. Uh, not, not Larry Hankin because that's been. Uh, co-opted and kidnapped and i have to pay to get it and i said to hell with it i'll just go with the real larry hankin if you want me to go body slam him i'll get it for you uh but um what happened was i graduated i i thought industrial design Mm -hmm. my parents wanted me to go to college i didn't want to go to college right i was through school at high school and they wanted me, and I was yeah, I was a good son, so I went to college. And they said, "Of you course, go college, you can't go far away, you know, so we can visit you." There were just too many things to do. So I did, signed up for Syracuse University Industrial Design, and I did that was the, that was the extent of my due diligence. I saw industrial design, ooh, painting design. Mm-hmm. Well, it was industrial. Yeah. That's what they saw. So I went to industrial design. And it's just engineering and, and math and calculus and, and drawing cars and machines. <laughs> That's the design part. All the technical so, stuff. But I was stuck, Ooh. and it was a five-year course. And I didn't Ooh. want to quit. I, uh, it was for my parents. and Right. And, so I went through the whole thing, but when I went to uh, Detroit, they sent for the, the, their best students. I was a really good student. I was like an A student. Wow. Because I could draw. Because, you know, I want to be an artist. Yeah. So I could draw. So that's what got the, oh, oh, he's really good. So they sent for me. I flew there with about eight other students from eight other colleges, you know, A mm-hmm. students. And they showed us around, and I thought it was a horror trip. I thought, I don't want to work here. Ooh. It was Detroit Ford, I think. But they're all the same. They're like campuses. They're huge, man, mm-hmm. these corporations. So I said no, and when I flew back to the college, Syracuse, I went to my best friend, who was Carl Gottlieb. Now, he was uh, he wanted to be a writer. He wrote Jaws, all the Jaws movies. Yeah. So, man. um I said, where are you going? He said, Greenwich Village. I'm going to be a writer. I'll sign up for a newspaper or something, you know. So I said, hey, you want a roommate? I don't want to go to Detroit, man. So uh, I just told my parents, okay, it's over. I did everything. I did all my assignments as a child and a son. So now goodbye. Right. And I just joined car. We got an apartment in Greenwich Village, and I was uh, cleaning up bars. And uh, from two in the morning until six, after the last call, I would sweep up peanut shells. Oh, man, that sounds fun. But I was in Greenwich Village, and I had my whole night to myself. And Carl was reviewing movies and writing, you know, op-eds and whatever. So I went to coffee houses, and I started to see stand-up, you know, uh, open mic nights. Mm -hmm. Three minutes, you get three minutes. And I thought, hey, I'm a funny guy. I can do that. Well, not so fast, Larry. Not so fast. Um, 
making your friends laugh is not the same as making an audience laugh. Very true. I, I learned that. But I, I was, uh, I had a, uh, I, I had, a, I don't know, I had the chops for it. For some reason, I was born to be funny, I guess, because I just picked it up right away. Absolutely. The learning curve was really fast. And within, I don't know, three months, I was opening for Woody Allen and uh, wow. Miles Davis and the Kingston Trio. And I was, boom, I was off on my That's you know, amazing. show business. And I was opening for a headline. Yeah. You know, really good people in nightclubs. And then nightclubs disappeared. I joined Second City. Then we broke away and did the committee in San Francisco and became a big hit in San Francisco. And then that uh, the, the clarion call went down to um, Hollywood. And they came up and hired all of us, one at a time. Yeah. But all my friends who we quit Second City and went to open... They were all down in Hollywood now, and I had no more friends. Well, you know, right. stage friends. Yeah. You know. So I just went down there to join them and got an agent and became an actor because of the money, but I didn't really like it. Right. I don't, I don't like being an actor. It's not, it's not, hey, it's not fun. You people out there who, you know, oh, I want to be in movies. Yeah, you want to be in movies, but to be in movies, you have to be an actor. And there's a lot that goes on that doesn't get talked about, but well, memorization for oh one. yeah, and then auditions out in the valley for two, mm-hmm. and then not getting it is three. That's yeah, and, and you know rejection is part of being an actor, and you have to have, as as I said yesterday to a friend, you have to have brass balls in your head. Oh yeah, you yeah man, but. If you want to be an actor, if you love acting, then you, you'll put up with all that bullshit. Absolutely. You know, it's 50%, 50% ooh, great, and 50% bullshit. That's, now, that's, that's the truth. in any job. That's it. Any job. That's Shoe life. shines, corporation, 50%, I love it, 50%, I hate it. Absolutely. Or, you know, I don't want to do this, but it's homework and it's research. But, Absolutely. But, you know, if you want to do it, then you, you put up with that because the, the high of acting or whatever you want to do, painting, is worth it. It's worth it. You want yeah. to do it. You know? But if you're not, if it's not in your heart, if it's not in your DNA, it's it's just drudgery. Absolutely. And, and I'm guessing... Uh, so I finally, you know... And I'm guessing that was a big part of your learning curve and what kind of helped you speed up the process of getting comfortable, you know, with open mic and stand up leading into everything as well, because that's something I'm currently, you know, trying to dip my feet into right now on top of everything else. But, I mean, you're exactly right with the rejection. That's the part that usually scares so many people away because they don't think about that part. They think about like the sunshine and glory and rainbows on the other side that we see like on the news, on social media, whatever it is. But Nobody talks about the rejection and the learning curves that you have to go through to get there. Yeah, the rejection and the learning curves. That's that, that's the big one. Well, see, I started off with a, as a comedian, three three minutes. Mm-hmm. See, the great thing about being a stand-up comedian in the beginning is that it's a uh, you, if you can get an open mic nights, they have them all over. You know, you can of course, yeah, get up three minutes and. The great thing about open mic nights is the audience, because they know it's open mic nights. They know everybody gets like three to five minutes. They, they understand that. They're probably there because they have an hour or two to waste over a cup of coffee listening to sort of okay jokes. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it's better than standing at a bus stop or in a coffee house or, you know, Starbucks. Absolutely. You just go in, you have a cup of coffee, you listen to all these people, and that's fine. Or you're there because your friend is going to go up and he invited you. Yep. So you have patience. All uh, audiences uh, at the open mic nights have patience. They know you only got three minutes. Well, I'm not going to boo. You'll probably boo from my friend when he gets up there, so I'll keep my mouth shut. So they have patience, and they just wait for you to get off the stage. So even though it's it's rejection, it's silent. Nobody says, hey, get off the stage, or, you know, I'll punch you, or... Throws a tomato, or whatever it may be. Yeah, and I would get that. I, I, uh, I Well, the, the open mic nights were fine, so I got right. through that. And then I had the, that was the learning curve, and then a, a manager came in and said, hey, you want a manager? Yeah, 
well, you got one. Okay. You know, and I say, oh, well, I told my friend, well, I got, I got representation. That's why we were all in Greenwich Village for yep. representation, not to be famous, not for money representation so you can you can get booked in absolutely so a guy came in and said you want a manager i said yeah he said you know uh, if anybody asks you got a manager what's your name jack rollins okay i'll remember that goodbye and when i said that to other comedians who were you know doing the open mic night said you got jack rollins i didn't know who jack rollins was. right you know who jack rollins is I've heard no. I've heard the name, but I I that's heard the name, but, in know, passing. Don't know. don't know don't know anything about him, no sir. Woody Allen's manager. You know, so wow. he had like He had the who's who. He, he was yeah, he was cool. So he also discovered a lot of, you know, a lot of great comedians and a lot of great actors and singers and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, he was big time. I didn't know that, but I got it. So he he helped me along, blah blah right. blah. But once you get now you're booked. I was with, he started me off with Woody Allen because he was handling Woody and Woody was becoming famous. So I would open for Woody. Mm-hmm. And that was fine because there are audiences that come to laugh. They don't come to hear music. They want to laugh. It's weird. They're weird. They're just like audiences who go to music concerts. Right. They want to laugh. So, you know, Woody, they want to laugh. I'm a comedian. They laughed at me too. Well, that was in the beginning, but then when people just came to hear Woody and laugh at Woody, then I didn't get any laughs. I would open for him, yeah. but they were waiting for Woody. Right. So I, oh, you got to find your own audience. Every comedian has mm-hmm. his own type. You know. Well, I was just doing funny stuff that came into my head, and that wasn't Woody's audience. That was my, you know, so, and then I started listening to Lenny Bruce and Richie Pryor and George Carlin, which are the critical thinking comedians. Oh, yeah. And that's when I started to be pulled off by the police because I was talking about religion and sex and drugs and rock and roll. All the the no-nos of today, yeah. Something you need intelligence for. Absolutely. I guess. I don't know. But anyway. Safe I assumption. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't drinking. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't getting much sex. Right. So, I mean, no, I was just, <laughs> what was ever around me? It was Greenwich Village. I mean, you know, so you yeah. talk about what you see and who you're with and, you know. I mean, I was around it all the time, but I just didn't feel like uh, getting high. I mean, it was just that simple. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then when I start to find my own audience, but, but the, finding your own audience is when you, you have to get through the, the hard stuff, the rejection. Yeah. That was, that was the big Trial and error. Audiences and cops pull you off the stage. Oh. That's rejection. And you have to, but I couldn't take it. Again, I had to, I don't, I want to just have fun. So I called my agent and I said, my manager, Jack, and I said, hey, I can't do this. There's police pulling me off the stage. A guy came at me with a beer bottle. Get the fuck off the stage. Whoa. Wow. Sounds like you had so, a wrestling crowd. Uh, it wasn't my crowd. It was a Kingston trio. I was opening for the Kingston trio. Not my crowd. Right. My crowd. So I was used to, you know, the Greenwich Village. You can say anything there. Everybody mm-hmm. goes to Greenwich Village. They hear this stuff. You know, drugs, folk songs, whatever. You know, uh, well, anyway. So I... Um, joined Second City, which was the same thing as Carlin and Richie Pryor. Oh yeah, the, and the theater. It's actually where my uh, my improv my improv teacher and improv coach got started too. So um, I, well, I've got what was a, his name? Jonathan Pitts. Uh, I don't know him, but yeah, I was there for probably long before he was there. But mm-hmm. yeah, so uh, I joined Second City, and then we went to San Francisco, and then from San Francisco to Hollywood, and I became an actor. And the money was good, so I stuck yeah. with it. But I, I didn't like it. It was just like I could have gone to Detroit, you know. I mean, for the yeah. same kind of mindset I had. I don't like this, but the money is good. But at least I was in in show business, and I kind of liked the people, and they were my kind of people and my kind of crowd, and you know. So I I stuck with it, and all my friends became actors. Um, well, you know. Actually, all my friends became musicians. Ah, really. but they still performed, though. Were. 
Well, I don't know. They were my audience. I guess they were, you know, because they they remembered me from Greenwich Village. Like, right. for instance, The Love and Spoonful. I did The Love and Spoonful tour, you know, the, wow. the arena tour. Yeah. With the, I opened for them. Instead of picking up a local band, they just took one comedian with them, me. Nice. But the reason that they picked me was because they remembered me from when they were folk singers in Greenwich Village. At the same time, I was a stand-up comedian. So they said, hey, you know, we remember this. We remember you. You were funny in Greenwich Village. You know, why don't you open for us now? We're big time. So that's what I did. So, my, my, yeah, I mean, there's very few people who have my sense of humor. Absolutely. Uh, my sense of humor. It's a lot of people's sense of humor. But right. It's my sense, you know, your oh, yeah. own people. And I found that musicians mostly, uh, you know, why I think. Because they, they didn't talk much. Right. I mean, they're not talkers on stage. They're, they're talkers if you're sitting, you know, getting high. Yeah, of course. Whatever, in the living room. Or, but, I mean, so they liked somebody who would just be be funny. Around, Take the edge or, off, yeah. You know, because they, they weren't funny. They were musicians. Although some of them have great senses of humor. Right. Uh, so that so that's why I was in all those movies, uh, all those things that you've seen. Absolutely. Uh, I passed the audition. I thought it was easy, uh, and there were comedy roles, and yeah. I was a stand-up comedian, and I, I was in Second City, so I knew how to make a character. Funny. Of course, and commit to that character when you made the choice and, to do and, it. Yeah, so that's why. But except for actually being in front of a camera for seconds out of the day, because it is you wait around, yeah, and you sit around, and it's. Um, and that's not too much fun. No. And I didn't, I didn't schmooze. I'm not a good schmoozer. That you makes know, two of us. The other actors and the directors. I just, uh, if something was interesting, I'd watch it. Yeah. In other words, I hung around the camera is what I did. Right. But I wasn't in the scene. I would hang around the camera and watch the scene. And then I would maybe ask the director a couple of questions or the crew. I like the crew. Absolutely. But, you know, here, yeah, I know. I never mentioned this, but the movies and television crews are where it's at. Yeah. For me, they're the, they're the smart ones. Exactly. They're the intelligent ones on the set, and they know really what's going on because they've seen it all, and they never nobody talks to them. They just do their job, you know, bailing wire and duct tape, and yep. they can fix anything even a digital camera duct yep. tape and, and bailing wire yeah your camera here it is and i mean it, or, or the set whatever those guys are great absolutely uh, and it's like in yeah, the I, in the wrestling I, world too just i i was always told make friends with those guys because they're going to be the guys that are getting your camera angles or making you look the best on tv get to know what they do so that you can work in unison with them and Overall, you come out looking better. They get the best shots, and everything works in a symbiotic nature. So, I mean, it's it's a very smart move, and it actually played out well later in your career as well. I would say. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I never thought of it that way. I mean, no, it was just these these guys were great because I would watch them uh, when something would break, and you know, and time is money, oh, and, yeah. and and we're in the middle of a shoot. Yeah, it's not like well, I'll fix it tomorrow. No, you got to fix no, it we're in yesterday. Shoot right now. Yeah, you know, and then they bam put together something and what, but and it's fixed. Like they used to say about my grandfather, uh, who was my my heroes were Picasso and um, Leonardo da Vinci. Interesting. All right. Uh, and Leonardo, you know, he invented everything. Yeah. You know, helicopters and just, I mean, you know, he was 500 years before, before his, his time. time. Yes, sir. Uh, and, he, you know, he, he invented tanks before anybody even knew what it was. Yeah. Helicopters and uh, and he also had incredible because uh, I would I would go through his because uh, as an artist uh, wannabe artist when I would go to museums to, to see his stuff anything I would go through his books he made these codicils these books mm -hmm. with little drawings of uh, engineering stuff yeah. and also he would go on top of a mountain well you know very high up 
Right, get the elevation, the altitude. Get in the there. elevation and look down into a valley. And then he would make sketches of the little town down in the valley. And his sketches, his little drawings in these books, were incredibly accurate and tiny. I mean, he'd draw the windows on the houses of things that were miles and miles down and away. It was like a bird's eye view. So the point, and my, my uncle would do the same thing that uh, they said, that he didn't, he didn't fix anything. He just made it work. Right. That was the crew on a movie. Oh, that's brilliantly it. said. They just made it work. You know, and then, you know tomorrow you'll, you'll fix it. Yeah. Right now you need it, it'll work. Get across the finish line. Yeah, so and that just blew my mind, it's man. Brilliant. Thought, oh, this is probably what Leonardo was thinking. You know how they these guys think. Absolutely. That's how Leonardo thought. You know, he just yeah. look at it and go, "Oh, well, if you do that and this, and then put it there, that would be good." Okay. Absolutely. So I was fascinated with that. So that's you know. So I didn't talk to anybody. I was just following yeah. the crew or the the cinematographer and the, and the director. What what. How the, I would say, you know, why are you putting the camera here? Or I thought the framing would be better over there. One time I came to a director on, um, I don't know, I don't remember the show. Uh, but I was playing somebody like old Joe. It was a mechanic. Mm -hmm. And um, no, no, it was Breaking Bad. Okay. It was, yeah. It was Breaking Bad, and I it was where I was keeping the cop out of the Winnebago. Yeah, yeah, you were keeping... Uh, Brian and uh, and Aaron were Yeah, and there. Dean Norris was in that scene with you, I believe. Uh, yeah, he was the cop. Yeah, right? yes, sir, yep. Yeah. So so um, my whole aim was... Uh, now, I had done something in the morning. Right. With, uh, with, with Brian. Mm -hmm. I shot in the morning where... He get, he was selling me the Winnebago to destroy. Yes. It was just one little scene where it was inside the Winnebago, and I, I come in, and I say, blah, 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 I'll give you this much money. And I was dissing him. Yeah. Because in, in my character's mind, he was obviously somebody who was dishonest because he wanted it to destroy. I was just right. making sense out of what he was saying. And I said, okay, this, this guy is a... It, I don't have to take any crap from this guy because he's obviously illegal. And right. I can turn him in in a second. So I was just like looking down on him, kind of. Yeah. And and Brian and the director liked that attitude that I I brought. I love it. So I, I was in their good graces. I was doing a, a good job. Okay. So I do that little scene. I say blah blah blah, and I leave. Okay. Said, All right, great. I'm gonna, and I'm ready to go home. And they say, no, wait. We're going to use you this afternoon in another scene that I had no idea. I, I was just in there for, for that scene. With right. Brian. So I said, so just have lunch and we'll set it up. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. Okay. So I had lunch and then I go in my dressing room and there's this speech on an entire page. It was a soliloquy. And what it was, was to keep the cop yep. out of the Winnebago. The private domicile. Yes. There's all about why legally he couldn't go into the Right. Winnebago. I remember that scene well, so vividly. I, I have dyslexia, man. I, oh, wow. I, it takes me a week to memorize a page. I, I can't do that. So okay. when I looked at it, I freaked out, man. I go, Understandable, yeah. Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for for yourself go check out what she can do for you and as a special treat for my listeners if you use the promo code flynn that's f-l-y-n-n she's even going to get you 10 percent off your order now you can't beat that so go check it out and see what she can do for you and i know you hear me so i but i wouldn't cop to it i don't cop to anything i can't do it's always yes can right you ride a horse y yes. exactly yep can, can you take a bullet to the chest yes Okay, you know, let's yeah. go. So um, he said, you know, uh, so I, I see this thing and I go to the AD 
said, what is this? He said, oh, Vince Gilligan liked your audition tape so much that he asked one of the writers to write you a long speech to keep the okay. guy out of the Winnebago. So, you, you, but you're up in two hours. I said, two hours? And I started to freak out so much that the AD, which is, a, you know, a young kid, about 20. Or something, right, right. He had to leave. I mean, he just had to get out of the, uh, I was in Winnebago. So he said, he goes, I, I got to get out of here. I got to go back to the set. I mean, he didn't want to hear it here. No, no, I can't do this, man. Oh, man, who am I going to? Uh, I'm sorry, I got to go back. Ooh. So I tried to memorize it, but I couldn't. But I wouldn't cop to it. Okay, so the point of this whole story is I go back to the director. And he says, okay, you ready? I mean, because I did a good job in the morning. Yeah. So he's looking forward to, oh, well, it's the same of guy. Course. All right, we're going to yeah. do this great. And it's a whole page, so it's going to be even better. <laughs> so he said, hey, you, you ready to go, Larry? And I go, yeah. But <laughs> very kind of, no, I'm not. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. He goes, okay. And I had figured out, in my paranoia, I had figured out how to direct the scene so that I could be able to memorize this entire speech in pieces. So I, so I went up to him and, and I said, but hey, can I, can I just say something to you? So the director goes, yeah, what? And it wasn't Vince, it was just a director. Right. I said, uh, I, I, I figured out how we can direct this scene. And he goes, you? figured out how to direct this scene. I mean, it was just the incredulousness on this. Not face. something you would expect to hear, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, well, who is this actor? You know, I was sort of friendly with him, and he's telling me how to, what the? I mean, it was that kind of, and right. I thought, okay, I'm going to get fired, but I'm not going to admit anything. But I, and as a matter of fact, as I was walking towards him from the Winnebago to go to the set, I fired myself because I knew I was going to get fired. Right. And I just wanted to get it over with in my mind so I wasn't shocked. Right. So I said, okay, you're going to get fired. You are fired. Now, I just, yeah, I just have to go through the dance, but but you're fired. Yep. Don't, don't get upset. This happens. I, I'd never been fired before. Right. No, no, this happens. This is normal. Just go in there and... So I said, well, you know, I know how to direct. He said, oh, really? I go, yeah. He said, I'd like to hear this. So he said, how, how, how are you going to direct this, Larry? So I said, we'll do it in, in pieces, you know, like a close-up of him, then a close-up of him, then a close-up of then me. So I figured I could memorize each section by the time they got around to me again, not thinking that, you know, we're outside, they're inside. Yeah. You're going to get the camera in and out and in, oh, and, out, yeah. in and out and light it and not light it and not. I mean, yeah, this is a stupid, really, idea. So he listened to this, you know, a section. Of the, and he goes, I mean, he was so blown away that he didn't know what to say. So all he said was, no, we're just going to shoot it in one shot. It's just going to be a walk and talk. Is that okay with you, Larry? I mean, it's just. <laughs> it was either that or fire me. I right, mean, right. Had to, and there was no other actor around. Yeah. He had down to get it. So he had to deal with me. So he said, no, just go down there and just walk towards the camera. We'll get it in one shot. There was a car parked by the camera because we were out, outside in the junkyard yep. in the middle yep. of the desert. So he said, we'll do it in one shot and then we'll put you in the car and you go home. One shot. I mean, you know, like two minutes and you, you're gone. And that's too much, you know, that's too much, Larry. So uh, how about that? So I said, okay. You're the boss. <laughs> Just, you know, uh, but I still thought at the end of it, I'm going to be fired. I, I right, right, right. So he said, all right, get down there. And he kept on saying, no, further, further away. And I go, oh. He said, you know, just, you know, it's just a walk and talk. When you get to the camera, you say the last line. We put you in the car, you go home. And I'm thinking, huh? okay, okay, fine. I go down there, and he says, okay, you ready, Larry? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. And I thought, okay, I'm an improviser. Hey, I was in Second City. I was in the committee. We were good. I was good. Yeah. I can improvise this. So I, I said to myself, all right, all you have to do, Larry, is keep talking. Don't uh, and don't um, and don't stutter. 
Just keep your mouth moving, say words. Just mm -hmm. keep on saying words that are kind of legal. Legalese, legalese. Okay. And, okay, you're ready. Says, are you ready, Larry? Okay, and action. So I just started to talk and walking and talking and just saying whatever came into me legal, something legal, if I got a ticket, if I talked to a cop, whatever. Boom. And I remember the last line. And I all, all you know, all things having to do with keeping the cop out of the Winnebago. Of course, yep. The whole point. And I get that. I say the last line and I blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, okay, now I'm going to get fired. And he goes, okay, Larry, that was pretty good. Okay, let's just do one more just for uh, for insurance, okay? But we got it in the can. Let's just do one more. Did I memorize the whole thing? I mean, he didn't blink. He did nothing. Yeah. He just goes, okay, wow. let's just do one more, and then we'll send you home. I go, okay. But now I thought, okay, here's the next problem. I don't I, – I, they got it in the can so I can fuck up. It's okay. But I can't do it the same way. Exactly. I, mean, I was just thinking. So you can never improvise something twice. No, exactly. no, you cannot. And, you know, just blah, blah, blah. But you're in the same ballpark. So I thought, well, okay, I'll just uh, improvise it again. But I don't have to worry this time. The tension is off. The trauma is gone. So I did, okay, and action, blah, 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 blah. I did the same thing. Don't stutter. Don't um. Just keep your tongue moving. Yep. Keep the cop out of the Winnebago. Blah, blah, blah. Boom. Okay, now I'm going to get fired. And he goes, okay. Hey, everybody. Larry's uh, dismissed. Thank you, Larry. Get in the car. They put me in the car, and I drove away. And I think, what happened? What just happened? I just yeah. improvised two things. So I had to wait because I, I, I didn't want to ask him. I just And it was a half-hour drive off the desert to the production office. So I right. sat there trying to say, what? I don't know. So I had to wait two weeks, and I watched his show. And here's what he knew all along, man. And he didn't cop to it either. What he did was, and what I saw, and if you watch the show, you will, it will bear out if you watch it again, but there's no reason to. He took, first of all, I said, um, right before I started to do the first improv, I, I said to the script girl, you know, there's a script girl and she takes notes about mm -hmm. if you say the word wrong. Right. So I went over to him and I said, uh, because I wanted to talk to the writer, uh, I wanted to talk to Vince Gilligan as I was walking to do the, the first improv. I asked somebody, where's Vince? Because I wanted to tell Vince, I can't, I can't do this. Can I do it shorter? Can you write something shorter? So I asked, I said, is Vince, I've got to talk to Vince before I go on the set. And they said, he's not here. So that one's out. So I said to the script, I said, um, did Vince write this? And she said, no, a writer wrote this. So I said, I want to talk to the writer. And she said, the director wrote this. Oh. And it didn't occur to me. Wow. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together. So when I was improvising, he knew I was improvising. He wrote it. Right. I wasn't saying <laughs> anything like what he wrote. So, but he didn't, he didn't cop to it either. He let me go all through it and said, let's do it again. So I, I, even if I did put it together, I said, well, why am I doing it again? I still am not going to memorize it. I mean, I don't have it. So yeah. I still couldn't figure out the whole thing. But when I watched it, I saw what he did. And he knew... From the, from the second sentence I said, because I knew the first sentence and I knew the last sentence. Right. I didn't know anything in between. But when I said the second sentence, he knew this guy's improvising. And he let me go and then he said, do it again. And what he did was when he got in the editing room, he took my voice and he edited the voice into a perfect monologue that kept the cop out of the... Winnebago. He took mm -hmm. out all the stuff that didn't apply or my improv. Right. But And then when he edited the scene together, when they edited the scene together, they only kept the shots on Aaron, Brian, and the cop. And every time I said something that was near right or applied, one sentence, they would cut to me just saying the sentence. And they, they only did it three times. And it takes two and a half seconds to say one sentence. So that's six. 
somewhere between nine, I don't know, three, six, nine, somewhere around nine seconds. I'm yeah. in the scene for nine seconds. <clears throat> but the director knew from the second, from the second sentence, I said, that this guy's just improvising. He doesn't know what the hell he's saying. But he just let it go, and I just let it go. Right. Nobody said anything, and uh, I was in El Camino. Now, Absolutely. Vince knew. Vince knew because he, he had the finished script, yep. the finished thing. So when I did El Camino, and I went up on my lines in El Camino, and Vince was directing, and Vince wrote it, he knew I was going up on my lines. So he said, he stopped production. Oh, well, he stopped the scene. He didn't stop production. He said, okay, cut, because I was going up on my lines. He said, cut. Okay, we're taking a 10-minute break. I want to talk to the cinematographer. And then he walked over to me and he said, just go over there and get your lines down, Larry. And then he walked away. But that's why he took the 10-minute break not to talk to the cinematographer but he was kind of he was kind he didn't you know blow it to everybody he just said and here's the the other thing that was kind of a he didn't know about but was a gift uh you mentioned before something about the camera operators you, you never talk to them and they never talk to you they're not allowed to by the way oh really uh, camera okay. operator can't talk to the to the actors. They're not allowed to, because they can't give the actors direction. That's a cinematographer. Right. If, 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 if you're doing something wrong, that's not in frame. That you're you're too far away or something. The cinematographer or the director can come over to you and say you're going too far that way, or hold the cup higher. Right. You know they'll say, but. The camera operators can't do that. They have too many directors, too many people talking to the actors. It's very confusing. So they never do that. So when Vince said, okay, I want to talk to the cinematographer, Larry, go learn your lines. It was the walker in El Camino. It's the walk around the, the El Camino car. I, I have this little clicker that I'm looking for the, the police yep. signal. The, the tracker, yep. The, the, yeah, that. So I was walking around trying to find it. So I had this clicker. So, yeah, I hold the clicker higher. Okay. So he says, learn your lines. We're going. Okay, so everybody is, walks away. The cinematographer is in the TV village in a tent, bullshitting about something. But the camera operators had to stay with their cameras. And Vince had set up three cameras on me. And one was to get a really good shot of me walking around without having to reset so they, you know, go on dollies and cranes and follow me around. And when I get to that side, they got a camera there already. Okay, so it's three cameras, three camera operators. When everybody disappeared, all that was left was me walking walking around, doing my, rushing my lines. Yeah. And the camera operator is just sitting up there watching. They had nothing else to do. So when nobody was around, they came up, they came over and they started talking to me. And what they were talking to me was, hey, when you come around here, you know, you can do this and hold this a little higher because I can get a really better shot, you know. So each time I went around to where they picked me up, that camera operator, you said, well, he was talking to him. He said, yeah, I'm going to come around here. And they were giving me hints as to do it really cool for the for camera which the cinematographer wasn't paying much attention to. He, they just wanted to get a, a shot of me walking around. Absolutely. I mean, my, it wasn't important to them, but it was important to the operators. Of course. They wanted, you know, they wanted a big shot. Of course. So that, that helped in a way. But um, if you'll notice, I'm not in uh, Better Call Saul. Right, right. Because Vince didn't want me forgetting my lines again he knew i forgot <laughs> breaking bad he knew that i went up on my lines in el camino and he just doesn't have time for it which i don't blame him i mean right. time is money it was his first directing feature film and this guy is forgetting lines that i wrote no man you know so he was kind and he blah blah like okay i'll give you one other instance okay where it went in my direction but it was vince directing when in uh, El Camino, when I get out of the truck, I pull up, and and um, 
uh, Aaron Paul. Uh, what was his name in the, the character? Jesse name? Pinkman. Yeah. What was his first name? Jesse. Jesse. Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. So Jesse Pinkman is waiting in the driveway, and I pull up, and I get out of the cab, and I say, hey, how you doing? Because Vince had told me, he said, when you get out of the truck, be really friendly with Jesse because this is a, a, a prequel, a, a sequel. So you know him from, yeah. from Breaking Bad. So you've got to establish that you know each other, you know, because I haven't established it. So get out and be really friendly to us, not like a stranger. Right, right. Okay. So I get out of the cab and I say, hey, how you doing, Jesse? Or however I said the lines. And we walk up the, the, the driveway. Mm-hmm. So Vince comes up to me and he says, when no, you know, you were friendly. That's good. But even be be even more friendly. Your relationship to Jesse is almost like a father, son, or an or an uncle. Yeah, I mean, you're that close from the old days. So maybe give him a, a hit on the cheek. You know, hey, I, how you doing? Like, like a kid, like he's a kid. Change the dynamic a little bit. Yeah. So, and also cements a familiarity. Of course, yeah. Boom, you know. So, I, okay, so take two, I I get out, I go, hey, hi, Jesse. No, I'm hitting one of the stars, you know, and so that's kind of weird, man. You generally never touch the star. Right. (laughs) I mean, you know, when I was in with Clint Eastwood, I couldn't go up and slap him. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, you know, so you don't touch him, you just talk to him. Okay. So I, so I was very aware that I was slapping in the face one of the, the, the star of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I go, and I didn't, I didn't tell him that. I, I forgot to tell him that. Then I have to slap you in the face. So I get out of the cab and I go, hey, hi, Jesse. Bam. And I just, you know, hey, we're so softly, you know, very, very, very soft. Right. Endearingly. And, I, and then we walk up, and then he goes, what was that all about? Aaron tells me, you know, what, what was that all about? I said, well, you know, Vince told me to, you know, slap you because we're, we're friends. He goes, oh, 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 Vince told you to do that. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's good. that's a good idea. Yeah, great, okay. So then I get back, and as I'm getting back in the truck, Vince comes over and he says, no, no, that's like, a, no, hit him. I mean, yeah, don't. No, but don't knock no, him no, out. But you do it harder. Ow. He didn't say yeah. that. He, he said, "No, hit, hit him harder." That was that was like you're afraid to hit him. No, don't. Just you, you're thinking actor, actor. No, you, you're old Joe, and he's Jesse. Yep. Okay. Okay. So I get out of thing and I go, "Bam!" <laughs> and Aaron goes, "What the fuck did was that all about, man?" <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Said, well, Understandably man, so. Man, man. Yeah, man, but you really hit me, man. Are you kidding? <laughs> Woo. <laughs> you want to do it again? No, no, Mm-mm. that's it. No, no I'm good. No. I'm this good. Yeah, no, that's really great. So, yeah, but so yeah, it's always always in between the devil and the deep blue sea. You know? Right, right. So, in a situation like that too, where there's such a gap between. Like, let's say you worked with Brian Cranston previously on Malcolm in the Middle, and then you come back to working with him on uh, Breaking Bad. Was there a catching up period? Was it like putting on an old pair of shoes? Was chemistry already there? Did it have to be rebuilt? What was that dynamic like, even though you were briefly, you know, on screen together in Breaking Bad? And in, uh, what was the name uh, of the show? In Malcolm in the Middle as well. Malcolm in the Middle? Yep. Okay, before I answer that question, uh, it brings up another point, and that, and that is what's really going on in Hollywood, which is what my book is about. Absolutely, and we're coming to that here, too. And what you think is going on in Hollywood, which is what you just said. <laughs> I didn't even know I acted with Brian Cranston when I really bad. I had no freaking idea. Wow. We did a movie years ago, and I don't think he remembered either. It never came up until I did a couple of podcasts, and, and people started asking me, 
hey, what was your relationship with Brian Cranston from, you know, uh, whatever? Yeah. I still can't remember the name of the show. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I didn't even know, and he didn't either. And it never wow. came up on the set at all. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, we became friends on the set. Of course. Brian and I. Uh, I mean, friends. I mean, we, we, we talked, you know, when, when we... You weren't strangers. Excuse me? You weren't you weren't strangers to each other. You you spoke and you you communicated. Yeah, I mean, we, were all, we were in the same movie, so you know you're sitting around, you're, or, or you're waiting to go into the scene. So yeah. they're still setting up the lights. You're standing there, you talk. You know, hey, you know, what about this? Hey, I saw you in that. No, I like you doing that, and you know, just no, you know. So uh, it, that never never came up, but we were friendly enough where at one point. I said to him, I said, you know, you go, well, what are you doing next? Or, you know, that kind of conversation. So I said, well, what I'm doing is I'm writing a screenplay. I said to him, he said, oh, really? What's it about? So I said, oh, it's a biker movie, you know, blah, blah, oh, nice. blah. He said, oh, really? You know, uh, and he seemed interested. He said, you know, well, what, um, what's, a, what's like this character? I mean, he asked me about it, you know, like, oh, that, that's interesting. How, did, how does it start or what's in the middle of it? So I said, oh, well, I tell, you know, you want to read it? I mean, I just said that as a conversation. You want to read right. it? Because, yeah, yeah. I go, wow. You know, oh, oh, yeah, well, how, how do I get it to you? And he gave me his phone number. And he said, this is my secretary. And I tell her, you know, I gave you the phone number. And I'm going to, and you're going to send it. And she'll give it to me. Fascinating. That's so awesome. So I wrote it down. And I thought, cool. And then about uh, a month later, when I thought I had it together enough to send it to Brian, I mean, I, I don't even know if you remember that conversation, right. but I had the number. So I called and I sent it, and uh, she said, okay, fine, I'll give it to him. And about four months later, I get a phone call in my home. I go, hi. And he says, it's a secretary. She says, you, you got a minute to talk to Brian? Yeah. Of course. So uh, he goes, hi, Larry. You know, I remember yeah, your screenplay. I, I read it. It's really good. Uh, I want to give you some notes. Uh, you, you ready? I go, yeah. I'm going to get a pencil and paper. Of course, yeah. And uh, he, for, he talked to me for about a half an hour, give me notes, you know. That's amazing. All. Uh, but it took me another year and a half to get to it because writing when you're an actor, you just got to do it when you got time. Uh, right, you of course. You can't just sit down and write for two weeks. Yep. It doesn't work that way. You got to just do it when you have to. It's like having a family or a kid. Yeah. Oh yeah, all encompassing. So, so what... uh, when I finally did get it together, it was like five years later. Wow. When I when I thought I could remembered, uh, uh, and I lost the the phone number in all those five years. I oh think. no. Uh, but I got it to him. Uh, I got it to his production company, but they. I don't even think it got to him. Oh. It got to a reader. And the whole point in, in reading in, in Hollywood is if you say no, you can keep your job. So it's just no, no all the time. Just no Absolutely. Everything. Just no everything. Absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, so it's very hard. Unless you know somebody in there who will read it for the person you're getting it to. Right. Right. And they will be honest. But it has to be a connection that's more than just a screenplay. Of course. Even if it's a great screenplay, they'll say no. Yeah. Then they keep their job. Yep. If they say yes, they have to defend their decision. Why are you sending me this? Why am I reading this? And you've got to come up with really good answers. And no, and then that's the end of it. So I think that's what happened. You know, just somebody said no. Yeah. No. Safe, safe right. bet. And that, that kind of leads me to my next question because I know uh, you're, you're tight on time today and I don't want to hold you up too long, but what okay. what led you to wanting to, to write this book, especially, too, because, you know, you had expressed earlier about the um, the dyslexia. How did that come into play? Did that kind of make you tepid to want to write the book? Tell me about how that process started and how that seed got planted. Well... I'm, I'm, I'm now making an assumption, so you tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. But from the questions that you're asking me, I, I, I'm seeing a pattern here. Okay. And and that is, and it's an assumption that everybody makes. 
but yeah, is it, is this true consciously? That you're asking me if that, then this. In other words, you're you're assuming that I'm making connections and planning ahead. That you know, how does dyslexia get in with? Why did you write the book? No, each one is a separate thought. Right. I make no connections. That's dyslexia. Gotcha. I also have ADHD. Okay. Which feeds that to dyslexia. So I make no connections as why I did one thing and another. You'd be there. Why did you paint that when you're an actor? I don't know. I want. It had to. nothing to do with me being an actor. Right. I just saw a picture and I said, I want to paint that. Absolutely. So I said, I want to write a book. Uh, and I thought uh, about because I quit. I quit acting and I had nothing to do I, I didn't know well I yeah I wanted to quit acting so right. I do what I want to do and, and and I do what I need to do of course but what I want to do is not based on what I did right it's based on what <laughs> I want to do now yeah and I had nothing to do so I thought well I got dyslexia I'm ADHD I'll probably forget everything I've done in the last 40 years on the set and I've been talking about it for years yeah and telling and telling acting stories to friends and cracking them up about hey you know what this director told me yesterday so I thought before I forget them all I better write them down yeah. and I couldn't remember anything writing it down because dyslexia doesn't work that way it, it works with memorization not memory Yep. You know, the, the difference between memorization and memory is memory is what you did mm -hmm. that you remember. Yeah. Memorization is something that is given to you to remember yep. that you just got to put out again. So it gotta never regurgitate it. Yep. You just, yeah. Memorization never happened. Memory happened. I have no qualms with things that happen. But if you give me something to remember, Forget it, because yeah. that's what I do. <laughs> so I thought I better put all these things that are memories I, I, into a tape recorder. I called a friend who, like you, like a podcaster, and I said, can you record things over the phone? And he goes, yeah. I said, I'll meet you every Saturday from 10 till 11, and you record what I tell you for an hour. And we did it for eight Saturdays and hours, wow. eight hours. And I just regurgitated all of the acting that I did yeah. for 40 years that were interesting. I didn't do everything. That would be, you know, a Bible. Uh, no, this is 252 pages of the best things that I remember of the quirky things, of, of the weirdnesses. No, there's things that impinged on my emotional memory. You know, where yep. when that ad director said, oh, you know how to direct. Is that really true? And me thinking I'm going to get fired. Yeah. Uh, that's an emotional memory. I, I, I'll never forget that. The trauma Absolutely. that I was going through and trying yeah. to be calm talking to this director. So it was things like that all the way through the 40 years that I remembered and put in the book. And it's called That Guy because people say, oh, you're that guy. Yeah. You know, who was in El Camino. That's why the title, but the subtitle is A Cautionary Memoir. Cautionary because they're all tales like, don't do this when you're acting. Try to improvise. And <laughs> I love that. Anybody. Yeah. In other words, it's the cautionary things of all the things I did because I have ADHD and I'm dyslexic and I never cared about it. I didn't give if I got fired. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be an actor anyway. So there are all the things that you shouldn't do or things that, you know, you run into and it's, whoa, what should I do here? It's that kind of book. And so I just poured it out into the tape. And then the uh, guy tape, typed it out and sent me the typed version of the tape. And that typed version I wrote. In other words, I, I put it in a typewriter like mm -hmm. Kerouac. And I just retyped it, but in a in a reading way, not right. in a talking way. Yeah, like all the ums, all the side trips, all that. I took all that out and of arranged course, yeah. it. Yeah. 
That's the book. That's what the book is about. Man, All the fuck ups. <laughs> the fuck ups, the no nos, and and the weirdnesses. And so on. It's really funny. It's a funny yeah. book because because now in retrospect, yeah, it's ridiculously funny. But you say this guy has ADHD and he's dyslexic. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I mean, you can see it in the reading. But when I was there inside my own brain, I was very serious about getting fired. Right. And, you know, so it's a funny book. Of course. And we're going to yeah. have, because uh, by the time this airs, I believe that that book will be out. So I'll have a link to hopefully, that. Hopefully, and, you know, hopefully. You can't predict that. They, they release it at their own. Of course. Whatever. Well, if it's out by the time this episode airs, I will have a link in the show notes to it. Or if it airs after, or if it releases after the fact, I'll make sure that our listeners do get connected to it as well. So oh, cool. well, we'll, we'll make sure we get eyes much. and ears on it for sure. Uh, but yeah, or we can do another. You know, when it comes out, we can talk. Absolutely. About, we'll yeah. definitely we'll definitely make that happen because again, thanks to uh, the man himself, Steve Joyner, for getting us connected. We'll we'll definitely make that happen. Cool. Of course. Well, Larry, Thank thank you so much for your time today, man. Because I. There's so much that we could have talked about, but I, I absolutely love everything that you put down on the table here. Gave a lot of peeks behind the curtain, and just, man, I'm so grateful for your time here today. So thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, take, take it easy, Flynn. You do the same, Larry. Thank Let's you so much. Okay. Bye. Bye. We're going to take a quick break here for one more ad from our sponsors, and we'll be back on the other side. All right, guys, what a fascinating interview here, man. That is one, like I said, I've been counting down for, and I'm so glad that we got the chance to do it, and I can't wait for this book to come out. Like I said, guys, information is going to be in the show notes. You know I like to make it easy for you, so go check it out. Go read the book. Download it on Audible or however you get your audiobooks if that's your preference, and just make sure you listen and support what Larry's got going on and Steve Thank you again for coming through and getting this interview done. You are the man. But guys, you know the deal. We're wrapping it up here this week, but you know we're going to be back next week with another awesome episode and another great guest to interview. So in the meantime, do some good for yourself. Do some good for the world. Spread some positivity. Give yourself a break. Check out the merch. Get connected on socials. Subscribe, rate, and share if you haven't already. And just get ready to tune in next week for another awesome episode. Same Flynn time, same Flynn channel, same Flynn place, however that saying goes, but you know that Flynn's going to be back here with you next week, and you know I'm already looking forward to it. So we'll talk to you again then, and I know you hear me. some audio engineering done and you like the way this podcast sounds or the videos on our YouTube channel look, then you need to hit up my guy Just Jeff. Trust me, this guy does some quality work and you can tell I've got over a hundred episodes worth of reference to show you the kind of work that he does. So if you're needing some engineering done, some editing, a video put together, whatever it may be, Just Jeff is your guy. So go ahead and email me at thieflinhendricks at gmail.com, subject line, Just Jeff Services, and we'll be happy to get you in touch and see what we can do for you. And I know you hear me. The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.